you're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. It's hello for me on Lift After Breakfast. How nice to have you along. Thanks for tuning in. We spent so long, didn't we, locked away without any company. I feel it's really good to have some company with me. So thanks for tuning in. Before I do anything, I'm going to ask you whether you or one of your loved ones, one of your mates is on one of these payments. I'm just going to mention some of these payments. Ab study, off study, BVA, carer payment, disability support pension, partner allowance, special benefit, widow allowance, widow B pension, youth allowance. Just if you or anyone you know who's on those payments, be very careful who you vote for the next federal election. And I'll tell you a little later about something that you know already, the CDC. But in the meantime, what we have coming up is what we have on Left After Breakfast, and that's our resident historian. And then the BL from the bush. And then we track down, we track down that, oh, so we lose a bag man. I wanted to 
mentioned to you about the CDC, the cashless debit card. And you've heard about it, of course, you know about it. We first read about it and were told about the CDC. It was there to help social security recipients, people who had troubles, people who had problems, people who had drug addiction, gambling addiction, alcohol addiction, any sort of bloody addiction. They couldn't handle their money, the poor buggers. You know, they were just spending it on the poker machines or the phantom machines or their, I don't know, whatever they take for drugs these days. Perhaps they mean aspirin, I don't know. But these poor people couldn't handle their money so We have a wonderful solution. The money you get from the government, your welfare payment, as it's called, it will go into a card. No cash. You will have a debit card. And you can use the debit card. 80% of it you can't touch because it's got to go on rent and things and whatever bills you have to pay that's with them. But there's 20% money over that you can take out yourself in cash, though we're not sure what that really is. This lovely, lovely caring and sharing policy didn't come straight out of the hearts of the, the men sitting in Parliament, or as the BL from the Bush calls it, the House of Debauchery. No, it came down by that fabulous caring businessman, Andrew Forrest, a lovely top-down policy developed by him. It was part of his review of Indigenous jobs and training. Like, he's a businessman, he writes reviews for the government. So, after reading his review, they took his advice. He knows all about this stuff, Andrew Forrest. He knows what it's like to do it hard. So, the Australian government commenced their cashless debit card trials But we know the cashless debit card didn't work to help people. There are just so many horror stories. You could drown in them the dreadful things that have gone on with the damned CDC and not working half the time. And people have been evicted from their homes because they haven't been able to pay the rent because the card won't pay the bloody rent. But what I wanted to say is we realise that the card... It's not just about helping Social Security recipients that are drunks, for heaven's sake. This is about the privatisation of government services via taxpayer-funded infrastructure set up by a private operator. That private operator is Indu. It's been set up to open billions of dollars worth of income management for the financial and commercial sectors. Income management has now become a product to sell, whether that be from vendors charging fees uh, to access their goods or services or from banks charging banking fees and overdraft fees. The Indu card itself says we are not responsible for any fees imposed by third parties the point is dear listener this cashless debit card the brainchild of andrew forrest well-known um man who cares for the working people this is a huge seizure of taxpayer-funded infrastructure for a private company. It is seriously sickening. And I just wonder how how much of this we can actually tolerate. How can we put up with it? Because the thing is, they're coming for you. They'll be after all of us. This Smirko-Morrison government is going to put as many of us as possible onto this cashless debit card. And his friends can make a lot of money. A lot of 
more money out of us. It really is about time we stood up and did something. We really have to, listener. Come listen, old kind friends of mine, I want to move a motion To make an Eldorado here, I've got a bonza notion Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament on next election day Some very wealthy friends I know declare I am most clever While some may talk for an hour or so, why I can talk forever Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament on next election day I know the Arbitration Act as a sailor does his riggings So if you want a small advance I'll talk to Justice Higgins Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament on next election day Oh yes, I am a Labour man and believe in revolution The quickest way to bring them on is talking constitution Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament on next election day To keep the cost of living down, a law I straight would utter A hundred loaves for tray I'd sell and a penny a ton for butter Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament on next election day Have been asked what I would do if ever the enemy came here. A regulation I would make to say they shan't remain here. Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way. Bang me into Parliament on next election day. They say the kids are getting scarce, I believe there's something in it. By extra laws I'd incubate a million kids a minute. Bump me into Parliament, bounce me in the bleeding way. Bang me into Parliament on next election day. I've read my Bible ten times through and wisdom justifies me. The man who does not vote for me, by Christ he crucifies me. Bump me into Parliament, bounce me in the bleeding way. Bang me into Parliament on next election day. Sinclair, he was fine, five quid for singing this here ditty. Betsy was his witness there, but the booby pulled the kitty. Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way. Bang me into Parliament on next election day. So bump them into Parliament, bounce them any way. Bang them into Parliament, don't let the courts decay. Oh,
3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June, and this year, we're asking you to be part of community-powered radio. It's only with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled, and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. 3CR Community Powered Radio. Oh yes, don't forget the Radiothon, dear listener. It is that time of year again, and of course last year we couldn't have one. But we're still here, it's still going, and we're in the red. (laughs) So we're going to need some help, but... You'll be hearing much more about that a little later. At the moment, we're going to go over to our resident historian, his and her story and our story. And Glenn tells me today he's going to be discussing tulip mania, the great tulip bubble, the capitalist speculation. Speculation has always been a feature of capitalism. And one very strange or intriguing example was the, uh, the tulip Dutch financial craze of the 17th century. And tulips were an exotic plant. And I said to you recently on your show about the Dutch East Indies, which was formed uh, in Dutch East Indies about 1600. And this is around the time of the tulip craze. And the tulips were like a luxury product. They, um, they were beautiful, exotic. They showed good taste. And for the merchant class, they were saying to treasure. And people brought tulips, also brought paintings and rarity like shells. And tulips are hard to grow. You couldn't grow the popular tulips. So what the work involved. So people pay a high price of tulips. And in the early 1600s, there was a, a craze on tulips. People paid lots of money on tulips to buy, you know, to say to like Kenneth Joneses or the Van Hotenbergs. And uh, in 1637, we find cases of people paying almost a year's wages on a good chilled bulb, you know, um, 5,000 guilders would be cost of a house. Even one or two people paid that sort of money to buy a chilled bulb. So yeah, some are paying years' wages on tulips, others are paying house price on tulips. And of course, other tulips are cheaper. But um, they're a sign of speculation. And the price of tulips became inflated. People couldn't afford to buy tulips. And like all sort of capitalist booms and busts had to crash eventually. The problem was a lot of people brought tulips the bulbs, <laughs> the bulbs were actually available. They had been planted. They weren't ready to buy. So people paid less money on tulips. They weren't ready to buy. And of course, they went bust. And people lost their money. Some lost a bit of money. Some lost a lot of money. Others, well, others survived. And um, I mean, it sounds bizarre. A tulip boom and bust period in the Dutch back in the early 17th century. I mean, speculation is a feature of capitalism. What have we learned? So the tulip bust. It might sound bizarre, people are speculating on bulbs which hadn't been planted, let alone produced tulips. But is it any different from the GFC was swiftly years ago where people speculate on the house prices? And we're seeing the Stranados, the house prices, which are which were valuable items, speculation. And Kaplan has a whole history of these sort of booms and busts and speculation. And the tulip craze was the earliest one, when they have a 9 and 20 inch stock market crash with sort of a South Sea bubble of 720. And it's still a future capitalism. So how can we get down to a society which is based on speculation and chasing commodification for products that don't even exist? And um, yeah, do yourself some reading. Do yourself a favour. Just Google 
tulip mania, the sort of gut function bubble. And look, have we learned? What can we learn? Anyway, you're listening to my name is Glenn. I'm on Suzanne Duffy after breakfast on 3CR, your only radio left. And until I return the following week, in the words of my forebears, Chocula. Time for the BL from the bush. Yeah, morning, comrade. Morning, listeners. This is uh, the BL from the bush. Hoping you're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Well, it's been a bit soldiers bold up here. Cold as Joe Wockey's heart on budget night. I'm going to tell you, that's bloody cold. Anyway, just sort of might have a bit of a chat to you about the uh, the ongoing saga of the uh, NDIS and the uh, the extreme streams that this government will do to uh, make it hard for those people trying to uh, get along on it. National Disability Agency has now got together and decided to get this Razor Gang head-kicking action group going. It's called the Sustainability Action Task Force. Don't you love the word? And they're there to uh, get in there and cut costs limit the amount of people that's uh, claiming uh, the NDIS support or trying to get it. And the three aims of this agency are slow the net growth in participation numbers, slow the growth in spend per participant, and strengthen operational discipline. Now, how's that for attacking the most vulnerable and people that are doing it so hard in society. That's that's their aim, is to really put the boot into them, is to, to try and limit the amount of people claiming for disability and already the people that are on it now that they want to uh, bring in these independent assessors that have got no idea of, of what these people are going through or, or, or 
what 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 it what it means to be a disabled people a person, and they're just there to just cut costs and get rid of the people on it. There's a bloke there who's the chief executive. His name's Martin Hoffman. He was up before the Senate estimate this month. He was asked about this uh, sustainability action task force, uh, razor gang, head kickers, toe cutters, whatever you want to call them. And his his um, his reply, and it was sort of he declined really directly to answer, but he got around it, and his sort of answer was that. Yeah, the unit was merely part of an ongoing management activity. Now, that's not bad, is it? An ongoing management activity. Known as around the traps as see ahead, kick it. So this attack on the people on the NDIS is just, it just won't go away. It, and it's not going to go away unless people take a stand, stand against it. And mind you, that the people that are, that are involved in this are also the people that that were had their hands in the uh, on the uh, robo debt robo scheme, and again targeting the most vulnerable in our community, the people who can least afford to be harangued, harassed, vilified, victimised, the whole thing. But these, this, it's it's the same scenario. It's the same people that they've got nothing better to do than just pick on pick on um, society's most needy. So that's that's where they're going, you know. I mean, it's all right to have these budgets and, and the big cash splash and everything. You've got to remember that the money's got to come from somewhere. To give to the rich with tax cuts and whatever, someone's going to be missing out. Someone, so they've got to find the money somewhere else to give it to the bludgers, to the, to the multinational bludgers. So, and that's where it's starting to come from. It's starting to come from the NDIS. It's starting to come from the, the, the New Start or Job Keeper, Job Creeper or Job Dobbing Your Mate thing or whatever it's called nowadays that's where they're looking at they're not looking at any of their mates or anything like that they're just going to society's most vulnerable and i just think it's uh, you know the, the the more of this that gets out into the community and talked about the better now so i've mentioned this bloke before he's he's a he's a he's a journal on the guardian his name is luke her her gome and he does very very good articles he does good pieces on on uh, the disability and also on the uh, job keeper. So if you get onto the Guardian, just sort of look for him, and you'll get some very, very good articles because he uh, he does does a good job. And without him, because you're not because without him, you're not going to get the real the real uh, gist of what's going on there. You're certainly not going to get it in their old scum or or the rest of uh, Murdoch's buddy uh, shit rags that are around the place. That is for sure. So that's um, just a little bit of an update of what's going on with the. With the NDIS, um, and it's just not going to go away. The Senator uh, Jordan Steele John, and he is the Greens disability spokesperson. So uh, he he's kicking a few uh, cans around up there in um, in in Canberra, up there in the House House of Debauchery, trying to do his best up there. To it's worth thinking about, comrades. It's worth talking about uh, because you just never know that. Uh, we, we could be the next person saddling up there for the NDIS, and I hope not, but you just never know. So it affects all, and I'm sure that we all know someone that's affected by it. Let's keep this front and centre. Yeah, I just wouldn't mind having a quick chat to you about this um, <clears throat> IPA coalition government that is supposed to be the saviour of Australia. You know, you, you listen to different people on talkback radio when they're saying, oh, what a great job ScoMo's done, what a great job that they've done. 
keeping the virus out of Australia and uh, after 12 months we're going along so well. Well, you've got to realise that that Australia's an island. You know, it wasn't it wasn't rocket science to keep it out of you. All you had to do was you shut the borders down straight away, which it took them a while, but they woke up to it and then it happened. And then you close your borders inside inside the country, which state premiers did. I'm not saying it went all smoothly, but once they got the, the hang of it, things did start to... Uh, fire up. It was state premiers that, that led the way. State premiers, under the advice, obviously, of medical professionals. That, uh, that was the catalyst that made it work. Nothing to do with old Scrody Morrison up there uh, running around. All they were doing at the time when this was going, I was running around playing grab ass, you know, in the old house of debauchery. That's all they were doing up there when this was happening. Let's, let's be honest about it here. Um, wasn't a lot to do with Morrison and his coalition government. It was a lot to do with, with medical advice by professionals given to state premiers. And again, as I said, we're in it. We're, and we should we should have been um, free of, free of uh, the virus anyway, or not free, but we should have been lucky enough as well because we are an island. Not very, you know, nothing comes in. Well, that's fine, you know. As I've said before that, uh, you know, prior to this happening, trying to get a dog and a cat into the country was nearly impossible. And the only other thing that he's done on there is um, is opened up the coffers, you know, throwing a whole heap of uh, money at people at the country, and mind you, your money—that's that's taxpayers' money. It's not it's not it's not the little Zionist money. It's not it's not Frydenberg's. It's, it's not Scroties. It, it's your money. So you should be able to get a bit of it. And everyone thinks, oh, what a great job he's done. You know, he's handed out a whole heap of money. Your money, as I keep saying. Now, anyone could have done that. But the reason why they, they handed out all this money is because his voting base were going to be on their asses. They were going to be on the dole queues. We can't have that. We can't, we can't have the people voting for them lining up with the, with the nanny wells, the people that you know, were in receipt of Social Security prior and couldn't get work, yet were victimised, were maligned, yet down the track when, when some of these finger pointers were going to be lining up the queue. Oh, no, we can't have that. Because then people would have realised what it was like to be on New Start or be on disability um, entitlement. They're surviving, not living. This bullshit about living, you don't live on it, you survive on it, and that's all you do. So his idea was throw a whole heap of money at it and say, your money again, and, oh, look what a great job I've done. Well, you know, sorry, mate, but that's all you've done. But as uh, we've said before, and we'll say it again, that uh, what you are good at, Schrodi, is going missing. That's what you're a champion at, going missing. And you do it well. Now, made in Queensland, Overgruppenführer Dutton has done it again. This is the Minister for Standover Tactics and Cultural Wars. When you don't think that this mob up there can get any worse, well, take, take a bow, Mr Dutton. You've done it again. Now, they had these morning teas up there and it's to get everyone together to discuss things and uh, and what have you. There was uh, a group there decided to dress up in rainbow-coloured clothes and wear different types of pins on their clothing to, um, to celebrate the LGBTI community. And they were to sit down and have a cup of tea and talk about things. But because of the clothes that they were wearing, Mr Dutton, old Obergruppenführer Dutton, decided that somehow 
Somehow in his head that that is some sort of um, attack on Australia. So he's he's uh, he's got the defence minister just to um, to uh, tell people not to wear these these clothes that designate freedom of speech. In another in another word, so things more things change the may they. Th- uh, the more they stay the same, and it was just uh, sorry actions and the wearing of these clothes to cease. Now I can remember years ago, and I dare say some of the listeners would, and definitely you, Suzanne, would remember in the eighties up in Queensland when the uh, they called the Sequab dispute was on, which was the Southeast Queensland Electricity Board bunged on a blue up there and uh, withdrew their labour. This was under uh, another right-wing fascist uh, premier at the time, Joe Bijolke Peterson, and we all remember about him. So again, another attack on on freedom of speech, civil liberties, all 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 that rolled into one. Joe decided that you had to have a permit to gather on street corners. Two or more people had to have a two or more people had to have a permit, and otherwise that was a gathering, and it was uh, if you didn't have a permit, it was illegal and. If you were wearing T-shirts or any sort of uh, pin or whatever on your clothes that that supported the CQAB um, electrical workers on strike, uh, that that was also against the law. So Queensland, Peter Dutton, J.B. Olke-Peterson, you know, they're all cut from the same cloth. Anyway, that's me for the day. Um, I'm thinking that, uh, that I'll go out in the same old way. Dare to struggle, dare to win. If you don't fight... You lose. Good morning from uh, Left After Breakfast, the only show left. And good morning, comrade. Good morning, listener. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. So we have started to track down that bagman, the oh-so-elusive bagman. Gosh, sometimes it's a little difficult. You may not know this, dear listener, but many a time the bagman has broadcast from a treehouse, a treehouse in Coburg, a treehouse which actually belongs to the bagman's grandson. And there's been some problems, some altercations, I believe, about ease of access and cleaning up the mess after yourself. So this morning, I'm not sure where we'll find the bag man, but he'll be somewhere. There was a very simple man Honest and quiet, yet he became the mate of every working man. And every miner knows his name. Oh, Norman Brown, oh, Norman Brown. The murderous coppers, they shot him down. They shot him down in Raspberry Town. A working man called Norman Brown. An honest man, the parson said, and dropped the clods upon his head. But honest man or not, he's dead. And that's the end of Norman Brown. 
Oh, Norman Brown, oh, Norman Brown, the murderous coppers, they shot him down, they shot him down in Raspberry Town, a working man called Norman Brown. The bosses wiped their hands and sighed, it is a pity that he died, it will inflame the countryside, and all because of Norman Brown. Oh, Norman Brown, oh, Norman Brown, the murderous coppers, they shot him down, they shot him down in Raspberry Town. A working man called Norman Brown At pit-top meetings and on strike In every little mining town Where miners march for bread or ride Their marches on as Norman Brown Oh, Norman Brown, oh, Norman Brown The murderous coppers, they shot him down They shot him down in Rosbury Town A working man called Norman Brown He thunders at the pit-top strikes His voice is in the women's tears With banner carried shoulder high He's singing down the struggling years Oh Norman Brown, oh Norman Brown The murderous coppers, they shot him down They shot him down in Raspberry Town A working man called Norman Brown A miner's pick is in his hand His song is shouted through the land A land that's free and broad and brown The land that bred us Norman Brown Oh Norman Brown, oh Norman Brown The murderous coppers, they shot him down They shot him down in Raspberry Town A working man called Norman Brown And good morning, Susan, and good morning to all your listeners. Yes, and good morning to you. Yes. Susan, I thought I'd bring you up to date with something that we recorded last week. Now, last week we said it was 17 weeks since Brittany Higgins, a former staff member at Parliament House, accused a certain certain person of rape back in 2019. Now, Brittany said that she was raped in Parliament House and she made a statement to police 17 weeks ago, of which we have not heard nothing. Now, we're not going to name the person involved because that would only be giving him a free kick and I think he should be brought to justice, given a fair trial and then hung. Um, but it's now 18 weeks since that, uh, since Brittany uh, has reported that rape to the federal police and the bloke that done it has become the Lord Lucan of the Australian Palm because we've not heard from him, we've not heard from the federal police, we've not heard a dicky bird about this uh, brutal rape 
that took place in Parliament It's alleged. House. It's alleged about oh, that. Oh, yes, you can say alleged and whatever you can, Susan, because that, uh, that protects us in some way. <sighs> anyway, next week maybe it might be 19 weeks, might be 20 weeks, but this bloke is being hidden somewhere and he's being protected by somebody and he has to be brought to justice at some time. <sighs> Enough of that. It's a very serious allegation of a serious crime. And I was just thinking, like, if I, you know, nick something from the supermarket up the road, like a can of cat food, because I'm running short of cat food at the moment, if I nicked a can of cat food and popped out the door, well, that wouldn't take them 17 weeks to bloody find me, I can tell you, or 18. Well, we'd still be uh, passing your hat around, Susan, to get your bail money. Uh, yeah. Much less be charged. Oh, my God, it, it just... It goes beyond intelligence as to where this bloke is and why the police have not interviewed him, uh, extradited him from where he may be. There's allegations that he's in America. I don't care. I don't care anymore. Um, I'm sure that the federal police will do what's right in the end. In the end. In the end. Anyway... Just to lead you into something else, um, I'm going to read a bit of poetry, don't... Now... What? Bit unusual for me, the boy from Broadie, to go arty-farty. But I'm going to read you uh, a stanza from Henry Lawton from back in 1912. Now, oh, I don't, you, you yeah. mean Louisa, Louisa's little boy. <laughs> That's right. Now, I don't read too well these days because I've got Dad's teeth in yeah. and I've got Mum's wooden glasses, but I'm going to see what I can do. And... You may join in the poem if you like. I don't care if the cause be wrong or if the cause be right. I've had my day and sung my song and fought the bitter fight. In truth at times I I can't tell what the men are driving at. But I've been union 30 years and I'm too old to rat. Now the reason... I mention that, Susan, is because I've been a member of the trade union movement for 55 years and 35 of those years as a, as a practitioner with, uh, with, with four or five unions and represented people in what used to be known as the Industrial Relations Commission. It's now called Fair Work Australia and it's up there for grabs. Uh, anybody that wants to work for Fair Work Australia, if you've got the right liberal connections, you can go far. Now, you can't make this up, Susan. I, I honestly, you can't make it up. Elena Matheson, the former Liberal Deputy Mayor, she didn't even make it the Mayor, Deputy Mayor of Campbelltown, is a daughter of two-term Liberal MP, Russell Matheson. Now, get this. She was appointed to the $387,960 per annum post as a Fair Work Commission on April the 8th. And she was given... Can you believe this? Have a guess. What? What? Well, you know, if you start a job, you'd expect it to last for a little while. But this woman has been given a 26-year-long $10 million post at Fair Work Australia. Now, wouldn't, if you're a worker, wouldn't you like a 10-year contract? Oh, I was going to say, who's got a 10-year contract in the 21st century? And I wouldn't mind a job like that. 
How do you get jobs like that? Well, you become a Liberal Party functionary, I oh, should right. imagine. And if your parents are well uh, connected within the Liberal Party, but it goes even further than that. And I say you can't make this up, but you can. Because four Liberal MP, Sophie Mirabella, uh. who was... Uh, <laughs> kicked out of her electorate because she was so unpopular, has also made a fair work commissioner on the same salary on the same day. She was appointed until 2033. Now that... <laughs> 2033. Mirabella! Mirabella. Oh, you... you you're almost sticking... And she went to work for the Iron Lady, too, at oh, one stage. Yeah, and she, and she helped Gina when Gina was pissed and fell down the stairs. Oh, that's, that's, that's the payback for that. Look, just point me in <laughs> Gina's direction next time she's putting a bet on at some race tracker and I'll uh, wait for down the bottom. You can give her a shove at the top of the stairs and I'll catch her when she gets down. Then I can get a job like that. I would be happy to be a cushion for Gina as she rolls oh, no, down you the wouldn't. stairs. Uh, be, well, oh, no, no. Well, I might be flat out after that. <laughs> oh, it does. Hey, Susan, did you see that uh, 165 Australians uh, have returned from India? Well, 165 in, uh, Australians of Indian descent have uh, been allowed back into Australia and about time to. And uh, let's hope that those uh, repatriation fights keep going to bring all those people back that want to come back to this country because it's deadly to be in India. Oh my God, no. Deadly. And those poor buggers who ended up with a positive COVID test and all the time they were negative. Yes, but there's a story to that, Susan, because Qantas had uh, contracted a firm to do the test that had been deregulated because of uh, past practices. And, because uh, of mistakes. Because of their mistakes. So that they'd uh, been deregistered and weren't allowed to practice. But Qantas, in their uh, wisdom, um, employed this company, which showed false positives and false negatives and whatever, and those people were kicked off the plane. Let's hope that they're back on the plane now. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope so. Anyway, mm. let me tell you that slavery is not dead in this country. Slavery is not dead as far as the Australian government goes because a multinational or company secured a $121 million contract to support asylum seekers in New Guinea. Now, I know it's a profitable business, but it boosts its profits by billing the Australian government $75 an hour for local workers. But guess what they paid the local workers? Don't tell me. Those greedy local workers in Papua New Guinea, out of that $75 an hour that this company was charging, they were paid eight. 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 Tell me. Well, administrative costs, babe, oh, mate. Well, you know, greedy workers in Papua New Guinea tell me that slavery is not dead in this country. Yes. And I'll bring you to another case uh, in a minute about foreign workers brought into this country that were exploited uh, by certain people. And I wonder how the 1,200 
um, workers from China actually got into the country if there's not something shifty going on in border in the uh, border security or the border force and with uh, crooked migration agents. But I'll save that for a, a little bit later, Susan. Now, as I was saying, Susan, slavery is not dead in this country, so I thought I'd boost it up a bit. If you're walking down the main street of Koroit, you ever been to Koroit? Oh, um, no. Should I have been to Koroit? Well, if you do, it's an unlikely location for a corporate headquarters of a Chinese-linked hire company with earnings of more than $40 million. Now, geez, that's not bad. But for several years, Easy Roll Trading operated at a building on Commercial Road in Koroit. Now, there's not many people in Koroit. I think there's about 2,055, if I remember. But this company exploited people to come to this country. They made Chinese workers pay seventy thousand dollars to come to this country with the promise that they would uh, be given uh, permanent residence in this country. Now, the labour hire syndicate supplied more than 1,100 foreign workers a year to abattoirs and generated revenues of $340 million between 2008 and 2017. Now, these Chinese workers were um, working at abattoirs around Victoria, including O'Connor's, the Australian Meat Group, and Fabris uh, Small Goods, and earned $42 million. Now, how can you get 11,000 Chinese workers into Australia charge them $70,000 each and promise them um, a, a permanent residency and, and be exploited at the same time if there's not something crooked within the border force, within um, crooked migration agents and whatever. I, I'm still scratching my head, Susan, how it can be done. When you can't get people who come by boat here... Uh, out of incarceration over after seven years. And here are these poor bastards, and we don't mind them coming here. We don't mind them coming here. They paid this company easy roll. One, uh, $70,000 uh, uh, to come to this country on the promise that they would be given permanent residency. And after five years, guess what? They're still waiting. You said Corroit. Corroit. You don't mean... Tullawook. No, no, I know things are crook in Tullawook. I wouldn't want to see you caught in Cairo, right? No. By golly. Poor buggers. <laughs> Poor buggers. Look, we have been saying for a long time, you and I, bag man, about there's something dicey, something really, really rotten about the immigration department or whoever it is that's handling these things. We yep. said that a long time back. Joan Doyle said a lot herself in the post is, if yes. you remember, about some very dicey dealings going on. Yes, at and Australia Post. At Australia Post with these workers from where, where it turned out to be, as you discovered in your investigative efforts there, Bagman. They were here to enrol in a course in ecology and science metrics for for biological studies or something, but it turned out they weren't. They were enrolled in this school for which they paid, you know, 50000 
dollars or something thereabouts, and then they ended up driving vans for Australia Post. And they ended up sorting mail at uh, the mail centre too, Susan, as well as driving. But look, we have to get used to this fact that people here, um, certain people here, brought into this country for slavery and for nothing else. If you go and get your nails done somewhere and you go and visit a particular Asian restaurant, you can rest assured that those people are working in slavery and they've been brought to this country exactly for that reason. It's a good morning once again, Susan, because we don't mention things that happen overseas enough. I have to be in that trouble. She will be fine the rest of her life. All she has to do is wear pretty clothes and go around and cut some ribbons. And, and, and then the... she complained. She said, he doesn't love me. And I thought, well, what a shame that he doesn't love you. Does he have to love you, for God's sake? No. They just want some airs for the throne. Don't, don't you read any romantic novels? Haven't you seen any films? Don't you know you're worthless? You're what the mother has, of the air. What has love got to do with it? That's yeah, what, what I want to know. What's love got to do with that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but who cares about that? Extramarital affairs, it was just a family problem, and yeah, oh. no, she'll never have the arse out of her pants, will she? Well, she won't now. <laughs> well, let's not talk it was the dead. Oh, for heaven's she sake, probably, she's probably a nice woman. Uh, but she was just a she, poor, silly girl, yeah, that's right. And she had a husband who was a root rat. Oh, he used to go well, around rooting everything that well, wasn't I... tied down. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, oh, if well. he did, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know him. And I wanted all my life, I wanted a couple of things to say when the press questioned me. The first thing I wanted to say when the press chased me out of the airport with their microphones thrust in my face, I could say, no, no, the prince and I are just good friends. But I've never had a chance to say that in my life, and I'm angry about that. You're you're friends with benefits. That's what they say these days. Now, before I get go back to the Industrial Relations Commission, uh, and I'm going to give you a quote from Norm Gallagher, a long time since we've heard from Norm. Uh, We'll take a break. Hello, I'm Rory McLeod. I live in Scotland, and I love radio. I can do the washing up, I could be in the garden, I could be in the car driving. Well, I'm listening to 3CR, Radical Radio, subscription radio, community radio, on 8.55am. We do stream at 3cr.org.au. So you can become a member and donate money. Now, as I said before, Susan, I've spent 55 years in the union movement, which really ages me quite a bit. Uh, but in that time, I learned that you could never go to the Industrial License Commission, as it's now called Fair Work Australian, to win a dispute. You never went to the ACTU because that was the graveyard of industrial dispute. But I quote Norm Gallagher here. Now, you and me know Norm quite well. I lived next door to Norm for many years uh, and I appreciated the fact that he looked after builders, labourers. Now, we can argue that he went a little bit soft in the end. What did Camo say? Never judge a man by his last game. Well, I think I said that to Camo. Oh, and Camo sorry. quoted me. Oh, God, well, gosh. It, it really is like that. You don't judge someone by the last thing that they've done. You judge them over the years 
what they have done. And, you know, the simple fact is that if you worked on the building site back in the early days, in the 60s, the 50s and 60s, your job was first to go and dig a hole in the corner because that was your dunny. That's where you done your business. That's right. And uh, Norm said, I learned from experience through years in the union that you can't win. If that you can't win on the battlefield, you won't win at the conference table. That's what he's saying there. If you can't win on the battlefield, you won't win at the conference table. It was important that we took action to stop the job. Once you've done that, then you had a better chance of winning a legal argument in the court if you had to be dragged through the court system. I'd, if you just relied wholly on court action, you were doomed to failure. My experience with court, that unless you win the battle outside, you won't win the battle inside. And it's always been that way, Susan. Every union I've worked for, um, militant unions, have always fought for um, the, their workers within the, uh, the confines of uh, their workplace and whatever, not running off to courts or the ACTU or Trades Hall uh, to settle your dispute. Militant action is what won workers many, many benefits over many, many years. We should talk to Irene Bolger about that one day. Oh, I, I see that uh, Irene has uh, put a letter in, on Facebook about her um, uh, appointment Ex- to mm. secretary of uh, uh, the Nurses' Union back in 1986 when the nurses went on strike for how many days? 55? Mm. Now, there's a story to be told. Now, before we go, Susan, we haven't heard from the Jewish Board of Deputies after last week's program. Do you know that there is a, a group, a, a dedicated group of people in the Jewish community or in the Zionist community that listen to this program and listen to 3CR? You don't have to whisper. They can still hear you. <laughs> That's right. They... A dedicated group to listen to 3CR 24 hours a day. Um, now, even I wouldn't listen to 3CR for 24 hours a day. It would seem me mad. I was intrigued this week to for- see the former BBC journalist found to have deceived Princess Diana to secure an explosive interview with her in 95, 1995 has denied he was responsible for a chain of events that led to her death. No, how could he possibly be responsible for her husband at that time, Prince Charles, probably soon to be King Charles, was having an extramarital affair with somebody else. And she said to Mr Bashir, there are three people in this relationship and it's a getting a bit crowded, but the simple fact is Diana took up with a a grocer's son, got in a car, forgot to put her seatbelt on and died in the crash in Paris. Now, how Bashir can be responsible for that, I don't know, but the simple fact is that Prince Charles, soon to become uh, king of this country was off having extramarital affairs with somebody else. But, I mean, who really cares? Well, I don't care either. But the thing is, too, Bagman, look, 
at that whole, at that time, well, when she first appeared, that young Diana, whatever her name is, very, very, very old family, older than the Queen's family, with its connections to aristocracy, noble blood and robbery. And she appeared there and I thought then, oh, you poor silly girl. Then I realised, well, no, she's under a good wicket here. Mm. She's going to marry this bloke. He's going to be the King of England. She, she will never, ever in her life, ever have to worry about the gas bill. <laughs> she will never have to worry about what can I feed the kids tonight. She will never be like, as I have done on a couple of occasions, more than a couple, sat there, fed the kids. What they left on their plate, I shared with the cat, and I ate that. Now, I thought, this girl will never have to be in that trouble. She will be fine the rest of her life. All she has to do is wear pretty clothes and go around and cut some ribbons. And And then she complained. She said, he doesn't love me. And I thought, well, what a shame that he doesn't love you. Does he have to love you, for God's sake? They just want some heirs for the throne. Don't don't you read any romantic novels? Haven't you seen any films? Don't you know you're worthless? You're the mother of the heir. What has love got to do with it? That's what I want to know. What's love got to do with it? (laughs) Be, yeah. yeah, but who cares about extramarital affairs? It's just a family problem. And oh. no, she'll never have the ass out of her pants, will she? Well, she won't now. <laughs> well, let's not talk about what they did. Oh, for heaven's she sake! Probably, she's probably a nice woman. Uh, she was just a she, poor, silly girl. Yeah, that's right. And she had a husband who was a root rat. Oh, he used to well, go around rooting everything that well, had wasn't a... tied down. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, oh, if well. he did, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know him. And I wanted all my life, I wanted a couple of things to say when the press questioned me. The first thing I wanted to say when the press chased me out of the airport with their microphones thrust in my face, I could say, no, no, the prince and I are just good friends. <laughs> but I've <laughs> never had a chance to say that in my life, and I'm no. angry about no. that. You're... You're, you're friends with benefits. That, that's what they say these days. Now, let's go out and say my way, Susan. Why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Good morning for Left After Breakfast. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June, and this year we're asking you to be part of community-powered radio. It's only with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled, and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. 3CR Community Powered Radio. 